0: Hello. My name is Ludmila Yurina. I'm a composer from Ukraine, from Kyiv. Now my country is suffering from war, from Russian aggression. It is destroyed. It is bombed. People suffer from wounds and pain. But Ukrainian nation is strong, resilient, tender, singing, intelligent. This is a long history of Ukraine's struggle against the invaders, both Soviet and Russian. It so happened that throughout its history, Ukraine has been fighting for its freedom and dignity. Therefore, when Russia invaded Ukraine and started an aggression war, one song kept ringing in my head. This is sunk. song I will not give up without a fight by the band Elders Ocean in Ukrainian Okean Elze. Why is it so close? Because it reflects my mood and my feelings now to fight for Ukraine and not give up. Stay true to own country. These strong feelings and emotions of the song are the main thing for me. This song became dear to me back in 2014 during the revolution of dignity on the Maidan Square. Everyone sang it, sang in transport and on Maidan, in supermarkets and conservatory. This song inspired and gave strength to fight and gave hope for victory. And now this song is very relevant because the struggle for freedom, dignity, for identity is always relevant for any nation, for any country. And this is about the Ukrainian people, about the desire of people of Ukraine for their freedom and the right to free choice, the right to human rights, to a free life. We will defeat the enemy we will fight for our right to freedom and identity. As our classic writer Tara Shochenko said, to fight, to win.
1: Hello there, mighty podcats. It's Sam and Tim here, awoken from our winter hibernation. We hadn't planned on returning quite so soon, but following the tragic invasion of Ukraine by Russia, we wanted to put together a little one-off episode before getting back to our usual shenanigans.
2: We've enlisted six generous contributors, the first of which you've just heard, to help spotlight the rich and hugely varied history of Ukrainian classical music. We'll
1: also be squeezing in a smidgen of analysis, as well as a guided tour, via TARDIS, of musicological highlights.
2: Before we set off, a quick reminder that the UK government will match any donation made to the Ukraine Humanitarian Appeal, while the Presto Music Humanitarian Fundraiser allows you to purchase music by Ukrainian composers with 100% of proceeds going to support relief for Ukraine. Both links are in the description below.
3: Hello, my name is Pavel Gintov, and I'm a Ukrainian pianist. I'd like to tell you about a piano piece called The Rocks of Uch-Kosh from the cycle Crimean Sketches by Ukrainian composer Sergei Bortkevich. Bortkevich is one of those composers who were unjustly forgotten for many decades. Uh, he was from the city of Kharkiv and uh, He had to flee from that city when it was occupied by the Bolsheviks about a hundred years ago. And after that, he lived in uh, Berlin and mainly in Vienna. He was a lifelong refugee and a survivor of two world wars. For the Soviet government, he was an enemy, and his uh, music was prohibited, and his name was erased from the Uh, memory of people in Ukraine and I think it's quite telling that me again being a professional musician from Ukraine and uh, I studied in Kyiv and uh, I had a class of Ukrainian music for years and uh, I had never heard of him until just a few years ago Um, and my story with with him and this, this particular piece is following Um, I was creating a program of piano music uh, by Ukrainian composers and I wanted to include a piece which has something to do with Crimea because you know that this current uh, war that escalated recently uh, actually has been going on for eight years now and it started in 2014 when Russia invaded Ukraine and annexed the part of our territory, the Crimean Peninsula. Now, for me personally, Crimea is a place where I spend time every summer with my parents when I was a child. Uh, it's a place of happy memories and um, right now it's been cut off from the whole world and turned into a military base. Um, so I wanted to include a piece about Crimea, and uh, I came across this cycle called Crimean Sketches, and I opened it and uh, played a little bit of the first piece, The Rocks of Uchkosh, and I was really captivated by the beauty of it. And uh, uh, it's it's really a true ode to the nature of Crimea, to the pine tree forests and mountains, and of course the Black Sea, and I could almost see the landscapes that were so dear to me when I was a child. So uh, I learned that cycle and uh, I wanted to learn more about the composer. So the name Bertkevich sounded kind of Polish to me. I looked him up and was astonished to find out that he's actually Ukrainian from Kharkiv and I haven't heard of him. So I started more of his music and ended up recording a whole CD. Of his piano works.
2: One of the spiciest cultural stories that's passed across the great tongue of news recently was the prospect of Hugh Grant becoming the new Doctor Who
1: now that he's stopped playing Richard Curtis's idealised self, Hugh has developed some real range.
2: Mm, I enjoyed him chewing scenery in Paddington 2 just as much as his performance in the historical sex romp, A Very British Scandal. My little bunny.
1: Alas, Hugh has dismissed rumours he'll be heading to Gallifrey next.
2: But that hasn't stopped us unearthing clips of Grant's audition tape.
1: As good luck would have it, the Doctor Hugh pilot concerns a series of pivotal points in the musical history of Ukraine.
2: Let's see if I can get it to play.
4: Uh,
2: Where are we, Jones? I've got to find those MacGuffin crystals. By my calculations, we've just landed in mid-17th century Kyiv, where bodan Kelminsky has just triumphantly entered the city as part of the Cossack Uprising. Though much of 21st century Ukraine is currently part of the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth, Khelmincki would inspire a liberation movement documented in a new type of Duma, or heroic song, which embodies ideas of national independence. Ah, yes. They're usually accompanied by a type of Ukrainian lute, either a bandora or a turban. These duma also display elements of emerging Western European Baroque style, high levels of emotional saturation, for example, and heavy use of improvisation. That duma we're hearing now is... Hang on, let me just run it through the Babelfish. Isn't that Hitchhiker's Guide? All the same. It's about the Cossack holota. It dates from before 1693 and was found in a manuscript collection in the Krakow library. Linguistic side note, Duma in Russian is the name of the state parliament. This is another example of how culturally distinct Ukraine is. Indeed, Ukraine is a geographic and cultural ancestor of Russia, and the latter derived its name from the first Slavic state, Kievan Rus, named after Kiev.
1: Welcome to the 1878 premiere of Mykola Lysenko's cantata Byut Proy, or The Rapids Rage, which sets a poem by national bard Taras Shevchenko.
2: Ah yes, like Shevchenko, Lysenko was enormously influenced by Ukrainian folklore. Known as the father of Ukrainian music, in the 19th century he helped to forge a national style by incorporating folk songs into his music. He also spearheaded the revival of the Ukrainian language. During his lifetime, various national music schools, musical societies and publishing houses were established, and several notable Ukrainian romantic composers came to prominence. Mikhailo Vybitsky, for example, who wrote the Ukrainian national anthem. I've got to say, you're very well informed on this, Jones. Well, Shooks, thank you. On a romantic side note, Tchaikovsky wrote his second symphony while spending a summer in Ukraine, and incorporated three Ukrainian folk songs. In fact, many of the most Russian composers have embodied a blend of ethnicities and characteristics, and the Ukrainian element has always been an important layer. Well, that's all
1: well and good, but I can't see any evidence of the McGuffin crystals here. Back to the TARDIS? This feels much more my kind of scene. Reminds me of my Pertwee days.
2: Welcome to Cambridge, 1973, the final home of Stefania Turkovich. Born in Lviv, Turkovich represents a cohort of Ukrainian composers who settled abroad indeed, Ukrainian music, has a big international legacy, particularly in the States. Leonard Bernstein was the son of Ukrainian Jewish parents. American composers Leo Ornstein and Dmitry Tiomkin were born in Ukraine, and George Gershwin's mentor, Joseph Schillinger, was born in Kharkiv. The song you're hearing, Emigration Elegy, is a poignant expression of Turkovich's grief at having to flee the Soviet Union in 1946. Having fled a fictional planet myself, I can relate. Musicology side note, Telkovich's 1960 opera Oskana's Heart was staged in her hometown of Lviv for the first time just last year, thanks to the work of Ukrainian musicologist Professor Stefania Pavlinchen. We've taken a quick pit stop in Vienna. It's 1816, and Beethoven is currently putting the finishing touches to his Schoneminka Minka variations, part of a set of 23 folk song arrangements. Schöne Minka, or Lovely Minka, was a popular song across the German-speaking world at the time. Hummel and Weber also borrowed it. But the tune originates in Ukraine. I once
1: knew a terrific woman called Minka. Seven nipples, if I remember, and she could make one
2: pop out. It was
1: absolutely... The
2: Road Beyond the Danube, as it was originally called, falls under the banner of literary romance songs, which, along with the folk romance songs, formed the backbone of Ukrainian sentimentalism.
1: Uh, now, hang on. I thought sentimentalism was a British phenomenon, I know this terrific writer called
2: Richard... Sentimentalism was a British-originated literary and aesthetic movement Mm. that became especially significant for Ukrainian art in the mid-18th century. According to the folks at the Galician Music Society, sentimental songs like The Cossack Road Beyond the Danube focused on the values that traditionally prevailed in the Ukrainian national worldview. Lyricism a sensitive perception of nature, the superiority of heart over mind, and an admiration for quiet domestic joys. Never quite my pace,
1: domestic joys. Still, no sign of these MacGuffin crystals.
2: Our next stop takes us behind the Iron Curtain. If I'm not mistaken, we're in Leningrad, 1955. Exactly, where a new version of Ukrainian composer Boris Lyatoshinsky's Third Symphony has just been performed. Poor Boris was forced to revise the work after its Kiev premiere. According to some Russian mandarins in attendance, its epigraph peace will win the war and tragic finale were not in keeping with the ideals of socialist realism the official style imposed in the soviet union by stalin you think that's
1: bad my friend nadine's been telling me some outrageous things about the bbc
2: why mm-hmm. had initiated the modern musical movement in ukraine in the decade that followed the first world war incorporating ukrainian folk melodies as well as atonality into his expressionist idiom Sadly, many of his innovations were cut short by the dictates of socialist realism, and it was only during the last years of his life, under Khrushchev's Thor, that he returned triumphantly to his first style. Very good in Scrabble, Khrushchev's Thor. Terrifying side note... During Stalin's great purge, many in Ukraine's artistic community were murdered. Vassal Verkovnets was a composer, choreographer, and actor credited with altering the course of Ukrainian dance by recording traditional dances and steps from villages and transplanting them for the stage. He was shot by the NKVD on the 11th of April, 1938, after being found guilty of bourgeois nationalism.
1: We must be getting closer now, Jones.
2: I think so. This is the court of Paul I of Russia, where Ukrainian-born Dmitry Bortnetsky has just been appointed director of the Imperial Court Chapel, the first native Slavonic composer to hold the post. The piece you're hearing is one of his eight-part cherubic hymns.
1: There's a fantastic little trip in Vegas called the Cherubic Hurs,
2: Different to this, of course, but a wonderful act all the same. Mm. In Botnyatsky, Slavic classicism found perhaps its best exponent. He's credited with developing the sacred Ukrainian and Russian choral concerto to its highest forms, and many of his works were popular across Western Europe. Berlioz was apparently a big fan. They were translated into Latin and German, and some still appear in Western hymnals. Oh dear, I might have to revise my opinion if... Berlioz liked it. Liturgical side note Rimsky-Korsakov criticised Botnyatsky's sacred music for its Italianate style, calling it one continuous mistake in the understanding of the Russian church style. But when Russian churches and Ukrainian churches began reopening after the fall of the Berlin Wall, there was a big revival in performances.
1: At last, the MacGuffin crystals! Who'd have
2: thought they'd be hiding here at the opening of the uh, 2021 Bayreuth Festival? Where Ukrainian conductor Oskana Leneve has just become the first woman conductor in the festival's history, leading Wagner's The Flying Dutchman. It's a major moment in classical music history, but not the first to come from a Ukrainian. Let's not forget that some of the world's greatest performers hail from Ukraine. Pianist Vladimir Horovitz, for example, who was born in Kyiv. Or violinist David Oistrak, who was born in Odessa. They've a pantheon to rival any. Back to the TARDIS, I've got one final stop I want to show you. More gems of Ukrainian musical history? No, the time John Barryman sang your theme tune on The Weakest Link.
5: Hello, my name is Antoni Bereshevsky, I am pianist from Ukraine and I would like to share with you some thoughts about the music that I like. It calls Kitsch music and it was composed by Ukrainian composer Valentin Silvestrov. I like very much, uh, especially first one, it's five parts of it. Um, after said that this music and this name of it has nothing uh, to do with the irony it's more about allergy and melancholy after also said that it has to be performed it's for piano it has to be performed as if you touch uh, the memory of the listener Um, i have a project where i perform this piece on every piano that I see so I have recordings of it played by on pianos on the streets in the airports, in the music schools whenever I see the piano I play it and I record the video and it sounds beautifully on each piano because this music is like for me it's like music after apocalypses. Um, and uh, nowadays I think we are all facing uh, the big catastrophe. And I hope that this music is uh, a little uh, brick to the wall against this catastrophe.
4: You got to pick
1: up. Remember Gershwin's summertime from Porgy and Bess.
2: Well, 12 years before he wrote it, the Ukrainian national chorus toured the US. On their New York stop, they performed a song Ot Hodit Son kolovikon," or a dream passes by the windows.
1: It is likely that Gershwin borrowed those opening bars for summertime on the recommendation of his Ukrainian mentor, Joseph Schillinger. Perhaps he was in the audience that evening
2: too. The Ukrainian National Chorus also performed the folk song or The Little Swallow.
1: But you'll probably know it better as Peter J. Wolowski's 1936 adaptation, Carol of the Bells.
2: One concert, two huge pieces of US cultural history. Thanks, Ukraine. You gotta pick a pocket or two!
6: Hello, my name is Ivan Nebesny, and I am a composer from Ukraine. I choose my own piece for soprano and string orchestra based on the text by Ukrainian poet Vasil Stus, who was repressed by the Soviet regime. The title of the piece is How Many Letters to You. This is a work about the thoughts and experiences of Ukrainian woman who is forced to divorce her husband due to Russian repression. Every day she thinks about him. Every day she worries about her family and the future of her children. Every day she remembers the best moments of her past peaceful life. Every day she feels sadness and despair. And she has no choice but to communicate with her husband in letters, knowing that her letters will never reach the address due to Russian censorship. This is the same situation now in Ukraine. Russian bomb falls on peaceful Ukrainian cities. Millions of Ukrainian women and children are forced to divorce their husbands, parents and seek refuge in safe places. They are crying even though there are no more tears. They are cursing their enemies. They are asking the whole world for help in social networks to save themselves and their children from the terrible bombs of the Russian regime. They are constantly scared. They are constantly running somewhere. They are constantly screaming in despair. Are constantly praying, praying for a happy, peaceful future for their children, and they again write letters to their beloved husband, although they do not know whether those letters will leave them. Stop Russia aggression. Close the sky in Ukraine. Stop the war in Ukraine.
1: For a moment of analysis today, we'll be looking at a beguiling piece that's rather captured our hearts. Here's The Messenger.
2: Ah, sorry. That's The Messenger by Linkin Park. <laughs>
4: I am the passenger.
1: Sorry, me that time. What am I like? That's Iggy Pop's The Passenger, sung by our favourite bass baritone drag act, Legato Chocolat.
2: Here at last is Valentin Silvestroff's 1996 piece for piano, string orchestra and synthesizer The Messenger.
1: Depending on the kind of conversations that go on in your house, it may be that Valentin Silvestrov is not yet a household name.
2: Silvestrov, now escaped to Germany, had lived in the same humble Kiev apartment for 40 years.
1: One has to assume that in that house, at least, his name was being used regularly. Just as his name was being used in proclamations of praise by big fish of the 20th and 21st century, great fraternal badger beard of Estonian minimalism, Arvo Pert and winner of our Simon McBurney lookalike competition, Russian poly-stylist Alfred Schnittke. Both have called Silvestrov one of the greatest composers
2: of our time.
1: And like Pert and Schnittke, Silvestrov's artistic development took him away from the avant-garde, plinkety-plonkety-noddy-smiley-strokey-beardy music of the 60s and 70s, and instead towards a new and highly personal musical
2: language. Do we have any suspicions why this happened?
1: Well, my gut leans towards the influence of popular music. A bit earlier. These sounds weren't so much seeping through the Iron Curtain during the 1970s as bubbling up through the aluminium skirting boards.
2: Mm, Popular harmonies and melodic ideas pooling on the cobalt-linonium.
1: And Silvestrov's initial changes in compositional direction were not met with universal acclaim.
2: Shock-haired Soviet non-conformist composer Edison Denisov speculated that if Silvestrov continued to go that way, he would cease to be a composer. And that is exactly what happened, in
1: Silvestrov's mind at least. In a 2005 interview he said, I cannot say now that I am a composer. I am sitting with a fishing rod on the riverbank, catching music. I don't invent it. The title, Composer, has a technical component in it, making music. I am just catching it, as if just listening attentively. It already exists, and I am a catcher, a hunter. I don't need a gun, just a hearing aid.
2: So what did our auditory angler catch on the riverbank? What was his new aesthetic about?
1: Well, I think the essence of his new style is captured in an alliterative set of pieces called Silent Songs, written between 1974... And
4: 1978.
2: Gorgeous, but very quiet. Well, that quietness
1: <clears throat> is one of the main features of this new meta-musical style of Sylvestrov's that we hear in silent songs and in The Messenger along with his tendency to use archaic melodic material, echoing earlier music, as he puts it. The dynamic range of most of the pieces I've heard by Silvestro from this period sit between mezzo piano and triple
2: pia-pia-pianissimo. Different, of course, from pia-pia-piano-piano.
1: A mezzo forte is a real event for Valentin, and is usually accompanied by a softening, expressive term like dolce.
2: And he often marks use of the una corda pedal on the piano part.
1: That funny, soft pedal that moves the whole keyboard slightly to the right, so that more of the fuzzy bit of the piano hammer hits the string, changing the tone quality from this... ...to this...
2: Though on the first pianos it was because the hammer only hit una corda, one string.
1: One hand, one heart.
2: Thank you, Freddy. Back to Sylvestrov, His new style is quiet, una corda. I've seen it suggested that players shouldn't even get to the bottom of the keys when playing the piano so as to avoid playing into the instrument and instead taking sound out of it.
1: Keeping the lid closed too? What's the thinking
2: behind this?
1: That we don't get to hear it? Well that's possibly true of the silent songs. According to musicologist Svetlana Savenko, he instructs the soloist to sing as if singing to himself,
2: as if there were no audience.
1: Yeah. Communication with others is maybe not the main aim of meta music. Perhaps we should categorize it as a sort of private performance art, only given for the satisfaction of the performer themselves.
2: Yesterday I went uh, as as we all must uh, to to Peppa Pig World.
1: Turning from The Mess, De Feffel Pig, to thinking about The Messenger again, it's a piece that exhibits all these meta-criteria. It's as if we're overhearing someone half-remember a Mozartian sonata, practising or noodling at the keys down the hall in a practice room.
2: I'm glad you picked up on those whispers of Wolfgang. Am I mad, or are there actual Amadeus fragments in there?
1: Well, he's definitely a fan. Uh, Silvestrov even wrote two pieces called Moments of Mozart, In The Messenger, I couldn't identify any direct quotations, though I'm sure there are listeners with faster referencing ears than mine who may be able to pick something out. For me, the whole point is he's writing using classical platitudes rather than specific source material.
2: The kind of techniques of composition, of thought spinning, or padding of the genre.
1: Yeah, except that rather than using it to keep some second violins busy in the background as Haydn, Bologna, Weber or Mozart might have done, Silvestrov brings the banal, the humdrum, the everyday, and places it right at the centre of things.
2: Some have even connected this celebration of the everyday, the elevation of the prosaic to the profound, to the teaching of Zen Buddhism. And that
1: may well be true, but to me the first thing I think of is... (laughs) The office, or actually the superior... There, I've said it. The superior American office.
0: The the time time,
2: time, out, time out. out, time out,
1: The banal can become sublime if you're Steve Carell or Valentin Silvestrov.
2: The last thing we need now is to escalate transatlantic tension over office remakes, Sam.
1: Okay, I apologise. Both series have their merits.
2: On politics, Segway. has Silvestrov written much nationalistic music?
1: One of the most overt gestures I could find was a setting of Tara Shevchenko's 1845 poem, My Testament. The poem celebrates the land of Ukraine, its stepland without bound, its wide-skirted wheatland, the Dnipro's steep-cliffed shore. A clear pride in one's homeland, for sure. He's even more explicitly political in his setting of Shevchenko's The Caucasus, which is dedicated to Armenian-Ukrainian protester Serhii Nigoyan, Nygian had recited the same poem a couple of days before being killed in the 2014 street riots in Kyiv. The episode precipitated the revolution of dignity and the ousting of President Viktor Yanukovych, someone who did a good impression of a Russian stooge if he wasn't a Russian stooge.
2: Maybe it's easier to be nationalistic when you're proud of the direction your nation is taking. But Nygian can't be the messenger in The Messenger. He'd barely have been waist high in 1997. Is it the shadowy figure who visited Mozart towards the end of his life?
1: No, I don't think so, but I like the idea. The title is taken from the philosopher Yakov Druskin's idea of a character who links this world and the next. But actually, from what I've read, I think Sylvestrov's messenger is his wife, Larissa Bondarenko, an esteemed musicologist who died suddenly just before Sylvestrov composed the piece. The synthesizer you can hear at the beginning, making the wind sound, is meant to be the messenger entering. And I hear the accompanying strings as a sort of musical halo, blurring with their bows the edges of the piano's more percussive attack. It's similar to the sonoristic monody technique he used in silent songs, where different timbres are used on similar lines. There, it's sustain pedal and voice in, as Peter Quinn calls it, a symbiotic monologue rather than duet. In the messenger, each string instrument is in symbiosis with a different finger of the pianist's chord, creating a truly alien sound, partially translated to us.
2: I like that with this idea of a messenger from another world, we can't tell if we're half hearing the message or whether the messenger has only half remembered it.
1: It's a wonderful frame for Sylvestrov's meta-musical style, I think. Almost an overhearing of someone trying to remember, holding on to an echo of music they knew before. But for me, coming to this piece through the war in Ukraine, the messengers I associate with it are all those displaced by the conflict. Refugees like Sylvestrov himself, I can't imagine having to explain to a future generation a message of what your nation is, the character and unifying material of it, the shared stories, music, dance and philosophy, religion and fashion that bind a people together. Idioms of being can't be packed into bags, but they can be held tight. What I can't help but hear is the countless people who will be going over their messages their stories that matter, their poems and their pieces that feel central to their identity, that make them Ukrainian, so that as soon as they have the opportunity, they can come together and share their piece of the message once again.
7: Hello. My name is Anna Fedorova, and I'm a Ukrainian pianist. Today I would like to tell you about a very special and beautiful piece written by Ukrainian composer Valentin Silvestrov. It's called The Messenger. He wrote this piece soon after his wife passed away. He was in deep grief, extremely sad, not knowing how to go on with his life. And then one day he just heard in his head this pure, beautiful melody which is reminding a little bit of Mozart. Very simple, pure, touching and full of light, full of hope. He wrote it down and composed a piece out of it and called it a messenger as it seemed as it was as a message sent to him from the sky, possibly sent to him by his wife. During the last few days, my father, from whom I got to know this piece, was performing it a lot at uh, benefit concerts, which we were performing at and organizing for the victims of this horrific war in Ukraine. It's absolutely heartbreaking to think that this actually is happening now at our time in the middle of Europe, in our country. And so many innocent people, children, women, are bombed in their houses, in the hospitals. It's just absolutely unbelievable how it can be happening. But by performing this piece, somehow it seems that we state that the light and the hope will still prevail and this music is such a heavenly beautiful touching and unbelievably pure that it seems that power which it brings is greater than any horror which we're living through right now and it gives us hope that the light will prevail and defeat the darkness. I hope that you will enjoy listening it as well.
2: Before we sign off, a huge thank you to the six contributors who left us voice notes. It's really valuable to have a proper insight into Ukrainian culture other than Hmm. what we managed to pull together with the help of some very fabulous musicologists, not least Virko Bailey, and the Galician Music Society, who have some excellent resources on Ukrainianlive.org. Go check them out if you want to find out more. Sam, anybody else you'd like to thank? Um, I would like to thank you,
1: Tim, for setting me on to Valentin Silvestrov, who I think is a composer who I will continue to listen to for a long time. Uh, I'd like to formally apologise to Hugh Grant. I think that's the worst impression I've ever done and uh, should be consigned to the annals of history.
2: know, it, 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 it's fine. Finally, a reminder that there are links in the description below to donate to either the Ukrainian humanitarian appeal or the Presto humanitarian appeal, both very valuable causes.
7: Good evening. I am Viktoria Lukyanets. I am opera singers from Ukraine and I'd like to present you Ukrainian song Ridna Maty Moya and I wish all mothers and all the world and special, special now, all Ukrainian mothers peace, peace, peace. My Ukraine, my mother country, support us, please, because we need peace.